Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And Rich McFadden in with you again for Greg Columbus of Radio America with Jim Garrity of National Review for your Friday martinis. And uh, I always love a good martini on a Friday. So, Jim, we got a couple of doozies here. Three doozies, as a matter of fact. Uh, and as always, we go through with the good, the bad, and then the crazy. And I cannot wait to get to the crazy because it just makes me laugh. All right, so let's start with the good here. Um, you know, we don't know exactly what John Durham's investigation will bring, but according to you, it sounds like he's the right guy for the job. Yeah, uh, the you know, been a bit of a pretty big scoop in the New York Times, uh, breaking lit last night, hitting today's paper. Uh, Justice Department officials have shifted an administrative review of the Russia investigation, closely overseen by Attorney General Barr, to a criminal inquiry, according to two people familiar with the wow. matter. This gives the prosecutor running it, John Durham, the power to subpoena for witness testimony and documents to convene a grand jury and file criminal charges. Now, the very next sentence from the New York Times is, the opening of a criminal investigation is likely to raise alarms that Trump is using the Justice Department to go after his perceived enemies. Of course Um, it is. Right? I mean, you know, hey, this is really big news, but let me explain why this is probably a presidential abuse of power. No, no, no. Um, And I wrote a little bit about this in the Morton Schultz newsletter. Uh, John Durham is a really impressive guy. And in fact, probably exactly the kind of guy you would want to have running an investigation like this. It's kind of intriguing to see the the comparisons between him and uh, the reputation of Robert Mueller before he uh, began the Russia investigation. Um, You look over Durham's career, he has uh, nailed a whole bunch of Boston cops and law enforcement officers who are on the take of Whitey Bulger, the infamous gangster uh, up in Boston area. Most of his career has been in the New England area. Um, he prosecuted a three-term Republican governor, Rowland, uh, on corruption charges, and also when the Department of Justice, when Michael Mukasey, the former Attorney General in the Bush years, needed somebody to investigate CIA waterboarding, uh, waterboarding, Durham was the guy he selected. He's very respected by his peers. He has a reputation of being tough and fair, and also I think significantly, he doesn't talk to the media very much, um, which I think is I think is probably what you Ugh. want in this situation. He's not a guy who's going to be thank God. Um, so in the end, this you know, my, my sense is if John Durham comes back and says, yes, there was criminal activity going on. This was a conspiracy to make Trump look bad done by the highest by Comey or Brennan or uh, Clapper or any of these guys. Well, then I think you've probably got a pretty solid case. But also, if he doesn't, then I think it's probably safe to say the evidence isn't there, um, which is, you know, whatever, whichever way this shakes out. And there's no indication of how long it's going to take. Um, I think we can not, we can conclude from this the fact that he's looking for these uh, ability to file criminal charges, convene a grand jury, etc. That he now thinks that something criminal happened. Now maybe it's a process charge or something. Like, you know, we don't know. This is that you know vast left wing conspiracy that a bunch of Trump fans want to see. But I think this is a significant moment, and whatever comes from Durham, your chances are in the coming days you're probably going to hear some people saying, "No, John Durham is a partisan Trump hack." No, no, he's not. Uh, he's exactly the kind of guy you want running something like this, and I think it's a good sign for the country. So my question would be is, do we need to spend another $40 million here like we did in the Mueller investigation to finally prove that there was no conspiracy, Russian conspiracy on Trump's end? Like, is this – the Mueller investigation wasn't enough. Still people think that he had something to do with the election and the Russians. So now do we need to go do this to actually – exonerate trump yeah that's a very fair question i do think what is a look you know on the one hand if you do this investigation if it takes a significant amount of time if it's a very thorough well then this should resolve this once and for all 
and uh, people who are saying, oh, this was all a conspiracy by Holder and right. uh, or, you know, uh, you know, uh, the Obama administration, Obama wanted to get Trump. Well, maybe, maybe not. I, I do think what is clear is you look at the comments after they left office of John Brennan saying Trump committed treason of uh, uh, Clapper saying that Putin is managing Trump the way he would hold, he would you know, control a foreign asset. Uh, some of Comey's comments. This is the moment these guys no longer had their official jobs. They spoke as if they were, um, if not rabid partisans, and let's just say pretty passionate partisans who had a vehement, you know, uh, disagreement, maybe to the point of disdain for Donald Trump. Right. Which then makes you wonder, okay, well, I mean, did they, you know, launch this investigation in the first place on, on the very best of motives and based on the evidence? Or at the very minimum, I think you can point to a group think of, ah, Trump's exactly. a bad guy. You know, if we, if we look hard enough, we'll find the evidence. Right. And surprise, surprise and collusion, they didn't. So was this a series of innocent mistakes or was there something, you know, more sinister going on here? Look, if, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad Durham is looking into this. And if Durham comes back and says it wasn't there, I trust him it wasn't there. If he comes back, if there was something there, he's probably the right guy to start nailing some hides to the wall. All right. So let's follow this and see where it goes. Uh, <laughs> hopefully we finally get some resolve from this thing, because uh, by the time Trump gets reelected, Maybe we'll have the some end of the second here. term. We'll yeah, have it all right. Yeah. yeah, somewhere in the second term, <laughs> like in year three of a second term, we might have some resolution to this. All right. So let's move on to the bad martini of the day. I, Tim Ryan. How many people even knew Tim Ryan was running for president? But why does it matter that he's not running for president anymore in the Democratic ticket? Yeah, and there's a, a smi- I wrote about this in today's Morning Jolt. It's a smidgen of self-criticism here. I did not spend a lot of attention on Tim Ryan. I didn't do the big profile piece. Um, and I didn't, I don't, you know, look. He, this was Because you knew who, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he qualified for the first debate with that oh-so-difficult 1% threshold right. in, deba- in, the pol- in the polls. Didn't qualify for any of the subsequent debates. Um, he's not a whirling dervish of raw political charisma. And there was a part of me that saw it, you know, my, my jokingly, you know, half the people who, most people who see the headline, Tim Ryan drops out of presidential race, either never knew or completely forgot that he was running in the first place. But that having been said, I think that, you know, if you if you look at Tim Ryan, he, he was always going to be a long shot. But he probably is the Democrat who is best equipped to speak to and for the kinds of voters who voted for Obama twice. And by 2016, they were unhappy with the direction of the country and decided to roll the dice on Trump. Right. You know, that he's from the Youngstown, Ohio area, uh, union workers, manufacturing, blue collar um, folks who feel like they've been forgotten and left behind. And the whole, to the extent anyone paid any attention to Tim Ryan in this race, he was basically kind of you know, trying to grab his party the lapels and saying, listen to these people, right? These are people who are not going to be okay with giving uh, uh, you know, government taxpayer funded health care to illegal immigrants. These are not people right. who um, uh, want to see their private health insurance taken away. By the way, unions have pretty darn good health insurance. Right. Policy. Um, you know, that, that basically, that, anyway, but on a whole bunch of other issues, this guy is definitely a Democrat. The idea of, oh, well, he's a conservative. No, not really that conservative. Right? He's just simply a guy who knows his constituents and speaks for a group of people, the bowling leagues, you could say, you know, who don't get attention in Manhattan and San Francisco and Silicon Valley and in the Acela Corridor and places like that. And, you know, you know, again, I probably would never vote for the guy. But this is the kind well, of you know, yeah. The the question is 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 the blue collar becoming passe for the Democratic Party, and and do they is 
is it just that they don't care about them anymore and they want to pick up these other tribal communities like the the LGBTQ community and and Hollywood and 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 just those blue collar dudes that worked in factories there they're going to vote for us no matter what or is it the blue collar dudes in factories we just don't care about them anymore this is the new hot group to go get what are democrats why are they pushing them aside yeah. like they are I mean, in that one debate that he was in, he said, we've got to change the center of gravity of the Democratic Party from being coastal and elitist and Ivy League, which is the perception of somebody from the forgotten communities that have been left behind for the last 30 years. Flyover country. Yeah. Right. I mean, like that's, you know, that's something Democrats would be really smart to listen to. Even yeah. if you don't think Tim Ryan is the right guy. And, but, but, you know, I mean, from a strict, you know, measure of who can win back the guys, the, the voters who we lost last cycle. You know, this guy who, who's from Ohio knows this particular corner of Ohio very well, presumably yeah. would help your numbers in Ohio a bit. Well, look, if, you're, if you can appeal to those kind of folks in Ohio, it's probably going to help you in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin and, Ohio, and uh, Iowa and maybe even, you know, Florida and North Carolina. Like all those key states, this is a demographic you'd probably want to do better with. Now, does this mean Trump's going to win? No, but I think it's very revealing that not only did Tim Ryan, um, you know, never get beyond that 1%. I think you can argue that he was one of the most ignored candidates in this cycle, which yeah. I think indicates the Democrats have learned very, very little from what was a very painful experience for them in 2016. What's your take on where the blue collar is, where the union workers are that voted for Trump? Where are they now, do you think? Um, probably one of the demographics that is most up for grabs um, in that, look, for you know, one of my points, one of the things I believe is that there's no, no president can come back and single-handedly make factories that were shut down, come back up, start it up again. Right. Uh, some of these jobs are just not going to come back. Right. Uh, some of these factories, some of these products that are made in these factories are not going to come back again. Uh, now, maybe you can repurpose those factories to manufacture new things, uh, but otherwise you're just not going to, you can't turn back the clock. And I think there's a lot of politicians like to over-exaggerate how much they can single-handedly bring this stuff back. Yeah. So it's not surprising if some of these blue-collar communities, there was a certain level of disappointment uh, from the results of the Trump administration so far. We have a very low unemployment rate, but these communities are not the ones who are enjoying the boom the most. But that having been said, I don't know if Elizabeth Warren has anything to offer these people. I, I don't think Kamala Harris has anything to offer these people. I think these are... Right. Um, you know, the, They're the, ignoring uh, them. The great irony, you know, like if you look at Pete Buttigieg, a guy who on paper is from a you know not too dissimilar corner of the country in South Bend, and talks about those rundown factories that he grew up around and stuff. Um, you look, what's what's fueling Pete Buttigieg to the effect, to the you know to to the point where he's you know beyond the the asterisk category? I think it's the fact that he'd be the first gay president. You know that that's what excites yeah. me. That's what kind of the, the billionaires. It's not oh, this is a guy from working yeah. class Indiana. Um, right. By the way, he grew up with the, the child of professors. It's not like he. You know, yeah, no, he does not anymore. come across as a working class guy. Sorry. Um, and so, you know, again, the aspect of this is, again, it indicates that these, you know, forgotten communities um, who, by the way, may have some unrealistic expectations and problems that need to be solved at the local level and stuff like that. The National Democratic wow. Party you know, just doesn't care. I, I think <laughs> that Trump's performance on jobs and the economy wins that crowd. And and while they they may have gambled on him to bring factories back and he didn't, he is definitely bringing jobs back. And that's what they need. 
So yeah, I, and again, the, the constant person they perceive that he's on their side, which is yes. a very big deal right. compared to exactly. Um, Ryan had some quote where he said, you know, he thinks he's a I can't remember the term. He, he didn't call him an SOB, but something or a, a slime ball. He said, I think Trump's a slime ball, but he's not going to take away my job. He's not going to take away my health insurance. Right, exactly. Like that matters. <laughs> it does. Know? It does. I mean, for regular people, and that's who we're talking about here. It matters. All right, on to the crazy martini now. So uh, so we all remember James Carville and Mary Madeline and how, you know, he was on the left and she was on the right and how did they live together and everything. But let me tell you something. The Conways have brought this to a whole new level of crazy, man. Yeah, because it got really it, – it, it may have hit a new level in um... – uh, Kellyanne Conway called up some reporter for the Washington Examiner who she felt had taken some sort of unfair shot at her. Um, there's some question about whether the conversation was supposed to be on the record or off the record. The Examiner ran the whole thing. Um, I think it's safe to say it's not Kellyanne Conway's finest hour. She really rips into that reporter in a way and, and kind of threatens to go after her and Ooh. all that stuff. But um, one of the things that stands out is she says something like, you know, he gets his power from me, not the other way around or something like that. And I just feel this has been going on pretty much the, almost yeah. the entirety of the Trump presidency. It does seem every month or, or you know, a couple of weeks, it seems like we get some new flare up that generates some attention based on what he tweets and right. what she says in TV interviews or something like that. You know, Rich, I feel like I feel like we've been invited to a big dinner party. Oh, the Conways invited us over. Come on. And like right as the dinner starts, they start sniping at each other. <laughs> and they're snapping and it's getting more personal and it's getting more. And we're all just kind of uncomfortably looking at our shoes or, or looking out the window or just trying not to make eye contact. Um, and I, you just, I, I don't know about you. I, want to, I just want to see him go to counseling. I just, <laughs> or, or divorce or, or whatever it is, because it's just very awkward and uncomfortable. There's a reality show sitting there that I would pay pay-per-view to watch because that thing is just a show and i can't even imagine i would love to be at their house for thanksgiving dinner because i, mean, I can't apparently after this he tweeted out something about uh dealing with narcissistic personalities and he didn't name her by uh, by you know, really? like ooh, you know like look <laughs> lots of spouses fight right everybody this is not unusual and they don't agree on everything doors. yeah Oh, my goodness. So I, let's go back to the comment, he gets his power from me. That's, I mean, she's right. I, who well, would listen to him if she weren't? List for Solicitor General in this administration, right? So, he, so he's got a law career of his own that is uh, significant. I think it's safe to say he is he, he's in the public eye a great deal more because she is. Exactly. Yeah. And give credit to Kellyanne Conway in a, in a White House that has seen just about everybody else leave. Right? Steve Bannon, Reince Priebus. Yeah. Yeah. She's the only non Mike Pence, non family member who I think has stuck there from the beginning, um, which says something about her ability to get along with the president and uh, be an effective spokesman for him. Um, but, you know, like, and, and look, again, he doesn't like it. Okay, fine. I, and, you know, I would never, it, if you're, if your spouse's career path and this isn't decision he or she is making puts you in an awkward spot or you don't think she's making the right choice, like that, that must stink. That must really, really be difficult. But there's just something about the way that Conway feels that, sorry, George Conway right. feels the need to put this all out in social media. And then she gets asked about it in the TV and it just, ugh. I, I can't imagine being her and having to deal with that. I, as much as she, look, look at her position, right? On one hand, when she's at work all day, she's got Trump tweeting and she has to deal with that. 
Mm-hmm. Then she goes home for dinner, and she's got this guy tweeting, and she has to deal with that. She is right in the middle of a train crash and can't do anything. Although she seems to manage it, I, I can't imagine being her. Yeah, and look, you know, this is <laughs> this is not the three martini lunch marital therapy hour. But I would just kind of observe <laughs> that, you know, I, I don't know about you, Rich, but my, my wife comes home from work. She's had a rough day. Whoever gave her grief that day is on my enemy list forever. Right. And I don't care if it was a one-day spat or something. I'm always going to be, a, oh, you're the SOB who gave right. my wife that hard time. Right? You know, you're always on your spouse's side. Right. And George Conway very visibly and famously isn't. And um, No, no you know. not only is he isn't, but he's the guy that you would end up hating that gave your wife a hard time that day. Yeah, yeah. You know, and again, maybe he, you know, Maybe Trump chews her out behind closed doors and he's, you know, that's, I don't know. And the other thing is also very clear. Uh, he clearly uh, doesn't like Trump as a president, doesn't like his policies, doesn't like what he's doing. You know, because he didn't get the job? That, yeah. You know, like, right. this is probably the sort of conversation you should have before the person goes to work. For that Let day. me tell you something. I think Trump sits down and looks at his Twitter feed and just giggles at this all day long. I think he's, hey, Kellyanne, how's your day going? Have a seat. You need a drink? <laughs> Hold on a minute. I get caught up on you and your husband's thread. And he probably goes through it. Come on. Hey, get Kellyanne a drink over here. She needs it. Married to it's that guy. It's fascinating when they're both on the bestseller list after the Trump presidency. Oh, my God. It's gonna and be... their books are competing with each other. Oh, it's going to be so great. All right. So there it is. Your good, bad, and crazy martini for the day. And as I said, I love the crazy. Always love me some crazy on a Friday. Uh, so join us again on Monday when Greg is back with your three martinis along with Jim Garrity from National Review Online. Rich McFadden from Radio America. Have a great weekend.